This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of Under the Full Moon by Neon Domino, composed by Burning Aurora. A note from the composer. Sirius's language is starish and Remus's is moon-speak. Both will be spoken in English to eliminate confusion for listeners. There will be some translations from starish English to moon-speak English due to inaccurate character translations. The prince is still alive. People gossip loudly throughout the town about this news. There have been so many stories over the years about the missing prince who disappeared shortly before his ninth birthday. The younger members of society believe such a person didn't exist, but the rest know better. They remember the celebration when the elder of the princes was born. They tell the story to anyone who will listen, and they talk about the theories from the many years. The prince died. The prince ran away. The prince wasn't really the king's son and was sent away. But now they know the prince is there, in the castle. All thanks to the king firing a tutor so callously. The tutor got his own back though, confessing to people that he wasn't just teaching Prince Regulus, he was also teaching Prince Sirius, the missing prince. Hours later, the man quietly packed up his family and belongings, and with bags of gold, left town for what he happily claimed would be a better life. What prince? He replied to anyone who asked for more about Prince Sirius. No one could get any more answers out of him before he was gone, but at least they finally knew the truth. They turned to the castle for answers, ones that the royals ignored. King Orion sits at his desk, quill in hand as he considers his words. The truth is out about Sirius. Well, not the whole truth, but enough that it's a concern now. Enough that the people are demanding to see the prince for themselves, and Orion is quite desperate to find a solution. Sirius is the rightful heir, and this kingdom is steeped in tradition. They'll expect him to take the throne, no matter his disability or secondary gender. Orion will have to find an alpha willing to rule alongside Sirius, and he's doubtful that he'll be able to do so. There are alpha offers already, from the nearby kingdoms. Those were being considered for Narcissa and Andromeda, but the moment it comes out that Sirius is an Omega, he'll be expected to marry his son to one of these men. Some of the kingdoms have the old views of male Omegas. He doesn't want someone marrying his son who intends to treat Sirius like property. He doesn't want someone who could be cruel to him, and considering some of the kingdoms, he would never trust them with someone like Sirius. Hiding Sirius had been the best option, but now Sirius is of an age where he can marry. He's just turning 19. Even a long courtship is a bad option because eventually that wedding will happen and then Sirius will be on the path to becoming the next king of Black's Landing. And that's if the family don't come after Sirius. It was all well and good when Sirius was in hiding from the outside world. When he wasn't in line for the throne, the family didn't care what happened. But Sirius's blindness is a weakness in the black family's eyes, and Sirius wouldn't last a year before someone comes for him. Maybe not even a month. With the amount of threats Orion can assume, Sirius won't stand a chance. Orion may be a cruel man but he's done the best he feels he is able to. He can't protect his son anymore and now has to find an alternative option, even if it means sending Sirius away. He strides over to the map on the wall above his desk, his eyes searching. The map was designed based on Black's Landing as the central point. He just needs somewhere with a kind enough prince who is the only child in that family, 
which means Sirius would have to leave Black's Landing. But he can't find a single kingdom that is appropriate. None that owe him enough in the way of favors that could ensure Sirius's safety and best treatment. He starts to consider lords in his own kingdom, but quickly dismisses that. The people would still want Sirius on the throne. Another kingdom, perhaps. He looks over all of the ones he has dealings with once more, and hopes he's missed something. There's no luck. He slams his hand down onto the desk. There has to be a solution. There is always a solution. It's getting late and he needs to sort this now, before bed. As he lifts his hand, a piece of paper falls to the floor and he snatches it up. He's about to throw it back onto the desk, but realizes what this is. Months ago, the Kingdom of Moonstone sent a request to trade between the kingdoms. Orion sent someone to do a report of Moonstone, and that's what is in his hand. The queen, a kind woman whose people adore her and a prince who hasn't picked an Omega yet, both loved very much. A kingdom that is very desperate for a trade route between them. Sirius is a handsome man, and the prince has scars running down his face. Perhaps that has scared him off searching for an Omega. Someone blind won't notice the scars. It's perfect. He'll make an offer they can't afford to refuse. The country has some good items to trade in, but those are things Orion can already get elsewhere, with the exception of about two or three things. But it was never worth setting up that route for so little. But if he changes what he trades elsewhere, he can offer Moonstone a wonderful agreement that'll outline the next ten years. He can offer a substantial dowry to Moonstone for Sirius. That'll allow them to make any changes that Sirius needs to the castle, which shouldn't even dent the large fortune he's intending to offer. He writes the letter. He outlines very clearly his Omega son's need to marry to someone who will treat him kindly. He talks about a potential trade route for years to come. He's sure that the family will understand what needs to happen in order for this trade route to progress. He writes near the bottom they will be following this letter by two days. It gives the family two days to prepare. Orion would give a little longer, but he doesn't have that sort of time. He needs Sirius gone immediately, and two days is still a day longer than he'd like. The letter is put on a ship to leave that evening along with some crates of the finest items that Black's Landing has to offer so that the royals have his favorite wine to offer him, and have time to sample the things they can trade with Black's Landing for. Orion will let his own kingdom see him bring Sirius away and return without him, before they can get ideas on having Sirius on the throne. Sirius will go there and be married as soon as possible and hopefully be safe. And alive. Orion wants his son to survive. He may not be a good man or kind man, but he does love his son. He doesn't tell Sirius about this plan. He merely mentions at dinner that he has a new trade route to set up, and has decided to bring Sirius with him, now that people are aware that he's alive. He tells his family that it would ease the public's troubles if they were to see Sirius, however briefly. Otherwise they'll be in for a difficult time. He gives his wife no room to argue. He orders the best in the way of clothes for Sirius, and packs his son's belongings himself. The castle is so utterly lonely. Sirius hates it. But sometimes it's not so awful. On the rare occasion that Regulus has some free time, he'll come to sit with Sirius. But other than that, Sirius has very little in the way of visitors. Once in a blue moon, his uncle and aunt visit with his three cousins. 
he loves these visits. Andromeda is so kind and takes time to sit with him and talk about everything. She goes for walks in the garden with him, and he feels at ease with her. Narcissa is kind enough, but more reserved around him. Bellatrix. Well, Sirius finds a lot more stools in the middle of the room when she's at the castle. More things moved around. He both loves and hates the visits, but at least he has Andromeda who helps him search for his belongings and moves things out of his path, though the cackling laughter of Bellatrix when he falls over yet another thing she's kicked into his path hurts too much. But aside from that, Sirius is used to being alone. The staff are forbidden from interacting with the royals, so all attempts to befriend those close to his age have failed. Their answers are brief, polite but distant, and Sirius has long given up on trying to have a conversation with any of them. But his father suddenly flips his world on its axis by announcing that they're taking a trip. He's equal parts excited and afraid because he's not taken a trip in the longest of times. But there's no room for questions because no one is to talk during dinner, and his father is busy until then. His brother hugs him before they leave and Sirius hugs him back. He's going to miss Regulus but assures his brother he'll be back soon. There are no goodbyes between him and his mother. Part of Sirius hoped his mother would offer a kind word his way. She says nothing. Sirius isn't even sure she's there to see them off. The castle gates are shut as he's led outside of the front of the large castle. Regulus helps guide him down because it's been years since he's walked out of these doors. His brother murmurs directions and the way into the carriage and they say goodbye again. A second hug and Sirius gets the idea that Regulus thinks something is amiss, but Sirius is hopeful that everything is fine. It doesn't take long for the carriage to begin to move. There's a groan and grind as the gates open and he clutches at the velvety material of the coach as he hears the people as they pass. He's not been around other people in a long time, and this serves to remind him that he's going to be around many others. He's scared. It's more terrifying the longer they go, but he won't anger his father. Instead he allows a guard to guide him to the ship, though his steps are unsteady as the wood creaks underneath. He reaches out for a handrail, but there's nothing to help him onto the ship. So he takes small steps and when he reaches the end of the wide plank, a hand grabs his, helping him step down onto the ship itself. He hears people following and he shifts to the side, out of the way. His hand finds the side of the ship and he feels a little more at ease as his fingers press into the wood. It's a little damp, but he doesn't mind that. It's solid and it gives him a little more idea of where he is. The guard will escort you downstairs to your room. Orion orders. The trip will take around eight days, perhaps ten. You will be familiarized with the ship later on today, and we shall be eating dinner on the top deck in about an hour as people are gathering to see you, and to see us off. Someone will fetch you when it's time. Sirius nods. The guard's fingers wrap around his arm, and he allows himself to be led towards some stairs. He starts down, counting as he does so. He finds a handrail. He grips it tightly. The ship is pushed slightly as the water around it moves, and Sirius doesn't like feeling off balance like this. He's guided through the ship to some rooms near what he assumes to be the back of the ship. He makes his way over to a bed with silk sheets that feel horrible under his fingers because they remind him of home, and he lays down, ignoring the door opening several times for belongings to be brought in. There is noise all around him. People coming on and off the ship, people outside of the ship and the boards above him, 
creaking as people walk overhead. There's laughing and even the sounds of music and serious smiles. It's scary, but it's an adventure. He's hoped to be allowed out of the castle for years, but the last time was before the accident, before he lost his sight. When he still mattered. His mother makes it clear on a daily basis, well, on the days she deems he's worthy to even hear her voice, that he doesn't matter. That if it were up to her, he'd have been cast out the day of the accident, when he became worthless. He stays there until he's summoned back upstairs. A guard tries to direct him through the ship, and Sirius stumbles twice. He hears his father snapping at the crew to keep the walkway clear for him and feels a hint of appreciation towards the man. They head up onto the top of the ship and Sirius can smell the food. Stand by me and wave, Orion says, pulling Sirius towards the edge. Sirius puts a hand on the side of the ship and starts to wave. He hears people shouting his name, people cheering for him. People are excited to see him, and he can't stop himself from smiling in the direction of the shouts. He stands there until he can't hear them anymore. The wind blows at his curls, but he doesn't care about the feel of the hair on his skin, or that his hair is getting a little damp. He feels welcome and wanted. It's a lovely feeling and a complete contrast to what he's used to. Queen Hope looks over the letter and frowns. It's a translation to the letter Orion from Black's Landing has sent, because the original is in Starish, which she doesn't know. Her advisor, Doria, waits patiently, having been the one to translate the letter for her. He mentions his son a lot, Hope finally says, looking up. Do you agree that he's asking for a marriage contract in exchange for a trade route? Doria nods. This is a difficult choice, she says. We can't ask this of Remus, but it'll do so much good for the kingdom. She lets out a sigh. What to do? Hope scans the letter again. We prepare for their arrival to start with, she says. There's no time to reply to this, they're on their way here. They could be here quickly if the weather and sea permit, so let's start with asking the docks to alert us, should a ship from Black's Landing appear, so we can be ready to send the royal coaches. We have extra staff from tomorrow, ready at a moment's notice. Orion seems the sort of man that expects to have someone at his beck and call. If anyone is willing to endure that, I'll pay them double. Doria nods, making a note. From the reports, Orion only has one son, an Alpha. We need to consider what will happen once he arrives. He kept this son a secret, but why? Do we know if that's one of the kingdoms that still hold Omegas in low regard? Hope asks. Perhaps he hid his son after realizing him an Omega. But you're right, Doria. If that's the case, we can't turn them away. Perhaps we can find a lord in the kingdom who'd be happy for this arrangement. Doria considers this before nodding. We should meet with them first, she offers. When they arrive, it won't be straight to business. There will be a period of rest after a long journey. When we meet this secret prince, we will maybe have an idea of who to introduce him to. Perhaps the king will accept marriage to a lord. Perhaps, Hope says. Should I keep this private? No. Remus will ask questions, and this affects him. I'll speak to him about this in the morning. Hope insists. But he'll be aware that he's not required to take on the duty of marrying someone just to secure a trade agreement. I don't want to force that upon him. What if he never finds someone? Doria asks. Hope sighs. That's Remus's choice. She tells her friend. James is second in line for the throne. 
Though I'd love to be a grandmother, as long as someone who cares for the people takes the throne, that's all we can hope for. Remus will make an excellent king, Doria says. As would James, Hope says. And whoever takes the throne will have an excellent and trusted advisor in the other. They both read over the letter once more. Doria reading the original, and Hope reading the translation. Hope had previously assumed that the King of Black's Landing had decided to refuse the trade request, so the letter has come as a surprise. Now she thinks she understands. They've chosen a kingdom that treats Omegas in high regard. Wanting a child to have a better life is important, which is why they'll try and think up a solution to this issue. I don't like the idea of Remus being alone, Doria adds quietly, as she folds up the letter and sets it on Hope's desk. She reaches for her cup of tea, bringing it to her lips. Neither do I, but I don't want to force him into this relationship, Hope says. But the king picked us, and I feel like it's fate that they're coming here, of all places they could have gone. You see, the king is hinting that he can do trade with us, offer us an excellent trade agreement, but he follows that by mentioning an Omega son he would like to marry off. The intent is clear, he wants an arranged marriage in return for the agreement. Remus reads over the letter as his mother speaks. He can see the indication of that in the words. Of course there are no expectations. Hope continues. Remus glances up. It would appear to be that way. He murmurs. They have nothing to gain from the trade route, not really. But it leaves the question as to why. We suspect that they're one of the kingdoms that still think lowly of Omegas. Hope explains. Our reports of Black's Landing state that they only have one son, an Alpha. So this son has been hidden away. I wanted to know your thoughts on the matter before they arrive. I can. I will consider the offer. Remus says after some pause. Depending on his reaction to me, and mine to him. But failing that. He shakes his head softly. I don't think I can marry if it doesn't feel right. I'm sorry. That's okay. I don't expect that. But if you don't have any connection, we'll consider what lords will be suitable. Perhaps hold a small ball once they've arrived and settled. If this Omega is being kept secret, hidden away, well, that's not the life anyone deserves. We can maybe still help him find a happy marriage here, because Orion could approach a kingdom that is less kind after this. We can plan after meeting him. When will he arrive? Remus asks. It could be any day, depending on weather and the sea. Hope confirms. We have no way of knowing that the letter came straight here or if there was any delay. So we've sent word to the docks. Things are being prepared in case they do arrive today. I'll start considering what other lords there are, Remus says. Let me know if there's anything I can do to set up. There's a lot of music and singing as the days pass by. Sirius is certain that his father hates it, but he finds his way to the top deck, fingers clenched around the damp wood, wind blowing through his mess of curls as he listens. He doesn't know these songs, but he's starting to learn the words. He hears the sound of feet tapping, moving in tune to the music and guesses people are dancing. He hangs back by the stairs, not wanting to move closer to this. He knows his assigned guard is close by. He tries to remember every little detail of the journey so he can tell Regulus when he returns home. That's the only thing missing, his brother at his side. If he goes home. The thought returns once more and he tries to push it aside. He doesn't go outside that often. Sometimes he's permitted to walk in the garden. Once the majority of the staff have left for the day, that is. 
He likes feeling the breeze against his skin, smelling flowers and fruit from the orchard. The crunch of leaves, though it's a little more rare because his mother hates leaves on the path. Sirius loves them, though. Yet this is so vastly different. There seems to be water in the wind, dampening his skin and hair. The atmosphere is different, too, happy and joyful. He sings the words that he does know along with the others, and he hears a boom overhead. He grabs the rail, afraid now, uncertain. Were they being shot at? The guard helps him back to his room, assuring him that it's just thunder. He leaves Sirius in there, and Sirius tries to block out the sound, terrified. Rain hits the small cabin window, and he hears shouting and running above and part of him is certain that they're being attacked. He's sure he feels the ship reacting to the sounds. He puts his hand on the wood, trying to find out if it's real or if he's panicking so much that he's just linking the movements and sounds as being connected when they're not. The running dies down, but the thunder doesn't stop for hours. He's just falling asleep from exhaustion when he hears shouts above that the kingdom is within sight and it's half a day's journey. Feeling safer now that they are closer to land, Sirius finally lets his eyes close. He wants to rest a little before arriving there. He wants to be relaxed. Showing weakness will anger his father. He lets the silk sheet slide to the floor once more, as he climbs under the warm covers and closes his eyes. Everything about this journey scares him. The carriage isn't what he's used to, the smells, the happy chatter of the people loading their luggage from the ship onto the back of the carriage. The silence between him and his father, that, however, is something he's very used to. We have now arrived, Sirius. You need to do well here. Be strong, kind. Show them you are not weak. Do you? Sirius, I think things could be more. You'd be happier. His father seems at a loss for words and Sirius isn't used to this. His father doesn't trail off, because Orion Black always knows what to say. He nods, assuming that Orion has lost the ability to talk properly to him. It's so very rare that they're alone with each other and Orion may not know the best way to have a conversation with his eldest son. Sirius appreciates that his father is trying. Before he can consider his answer, the coach pulls to a stop and the door opens. Come, Sirius. Sirius follows his father out of the coach, remembering it was two steps into it. His father grasps his arm and leads him towards the castle. Welcome to Castle Moonstone. We are privileged to have you stay with us. I am Queen Hope of Moonstone, and this is my captain of guard, Charles Potter. A man's voice follows the words, words that Sirius can understand. Sirius tries to memorize those names and voices. He's going to do what his father said and do his very best. Show his worth. His father leads him forward at a quick pace and he can only trust his father won't allow him to fall or trip, because that would be embarrassing, and they stop suddenly, his father's fingers wrapped around his arm. I am happy to meet you both. Thank you for welcoming us both into your home, Sirius says in Starish. Charles murmurs and Moon speak to Hope and Sirius assumes he's translating the language. She answers, her voice soft and filled with kindness that throws Sirius and Charles translates her words. You are very welcome. If there is anything you need, let me know at any point and I will see to it that you get it. Let's head inside. I'll have your bags brought to your rooms shortly. 
We were unprepared for you to arrive so soon, so they're still being prepared. Perhaps we can fix you both an early lunch whilst you wait. Orion answers and Moon speak, and there's a brief conversation before he leads them inside. He's led to a table and his father tells him where to sit. A plate is put in front of him, and Charles murmurs what's on the plate. Lunch is brief, and Sirius quickly gets led to his room by his father. You look tired. I have informed him that we'll retire to our rooms to rest before dinner. Sleep so you can look your best. With that, his father leaves, and Sirius has to feel his way around the room carefully, before finding a bed to lay down on. Thankfully there is nothing for him to fall over. Hope paces the study after the king and his son head to their rooms, and she's furious. Remus rarely sees his mother like this. In fact, the last time was when a woman approached the queen out of fear for her son's safety, when a lord's son had taken over their bit of land and had beat her son for doing his job poorly. Hope had been furious at the idea of one of her people being treated that way and had immediately intervened. What's happened? Remus asks. The prince. We had it wrong, Remus. Well, we don't know if the Omega's status had anything to do with it, but that wasn't why he was hidden away. He's blind. That man is ashamed of his son and is trying to quietly marry his son off. It makes more sense now, Sirius is first in line for the throne, so they want him out of the way so someone else can take it. That's horrible, Remus replies quietly, frowning. Hope runs her hands over her face in frustration. Part of me just wants to tell him to leave. I don't know if I want this trade route with him after this, it's it's sickening. I don't see how any parent can be ashamed of their child over a disability. This man disgusts me. I know you're not going to let him go back home though, Remus tells her. Damn right, Hope insists. That boy looked terrified. He doesn't speak a word of Moonspeak, only Starish, so he's got no one to talk to, and we had to quickly change his room around. He has a bedroom on the first floor. Not of the standard as his original room, but easier to navigate. If we refuse this trade route, Orion may leave with Sirius. If only James was back already, but he's still away with Lily. Remus, what do you think? We continue with the plan. We meet with Sirius properly and get to know him and offer an alternative, he says. We have this evening to consider it, and can talk business with the king tomorrow. You mentioned earlier that his alpha son is only 17, so the king won't remain long. He'll want to get back and make sure everything there is in order. The next full moon is in a few days, Hope says. That means either we do the wedding under that full moon as tradition states, or they leave until the next one, because I doubt the king will stay for a whole month. Remus sighs. I've got one name. One person who would never treat an Omega, or someone with a disability for that matter, badly. Ted. Ted Tonks. I mean, we have other lords that are decent people, but Ted is so kind-hearted and he's quite shy. We don't want to parade Sirius along a line of alphas. I think it's best to make one offer, and I think it should be Ted. Hope nods. Ted is a nice boy. She agrees. We'll discuss this with the king tomorrow. We can send a messenger to the Tonks household tonight with an invitation to the castle tomorrow afternoon, because we'll have to do this all quickly in time for the full moon. Remus smiles. I'll draft the letter now, and we'll send it after dinner tonight. He tells her. I just want to see Sirius and make sure that Ted is right for him. We'll also need to find a translator for him. I'll contact the library in town and also the school to see if they can find another translator. 
I'll need Doria with me for dealing with the king, and Charles has to get back to commanding the guards. He's going to check if one of them has any knowledge of the language so they can assist. I'll find a way to make him feel at ease until a translator is found. Remus assures her. Maybe Ted knows a little of the language. We can only hope. Hope sighs. I feel too unprepared for this. If Orion had mentioned in his letter, we could have had the room ready sooner. We could have done more. That boy needs kindness, because it's clear he doesn't see it from his father. He's best here with good people who will care for him. As you said before, fate brought them here of all places. Remus tells her. That's right. Hope insists. And these things happen for a reason. Good evening, Sirius says, sitting down in the chair that the guard led him to. He listens for a reply, in hopes of working out how many people are in the room with him. Good evening, his father repeats. Good evening. I am Doria Potter. It is lovely to meet you. There's a murmur between Doria and Hope before Hope speaks. Good evening. Sirius assumes that she's saying the words in both his language and hers. He whispers them back to himself, eager to learn some words in Moonspeak so he can communicate with them better. Good evening. He murmurs. Good evening. She returns to Moonspeak again, which is quickly translated for him. Tonight you will be dining with myself, Lord and Lady Potter, and my son, Remus. He will be here shortly. Sirius gives a nod of his head, uncertain what to say in this circumstance. He never thought he'd meet people other than family, so he's not had time to really consider how to act. Thank you, he finally offers. He listens as Doria translates the words. Thank you, she tells the queen, and Sirius tries to remember this. He knows it'll take time to learn the language, but even a few words may very well help him on his trip. A moment later, the door opens and shuts again. Footsteps move closer, then suddenly stop. He can feel an anticipation in the room, and it seems to go on forever, though Sirius knows only a few seconds have passed, before the footsteps continue. The chair next to him pulls out. He hears whom he assumes is the prince, take a deep breath before letting it out and a soft voice follows it. I'm Remus Lupin. I'm so glad to meet you. Sirius doesn't know any words except Remus's name. He can gather it's a greeting. Before anyone else can translate, he holds his hand out in the direction of the voice. Sirius Black, he says, wanting his greeting to be clear and unneeding of a translation, because he doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. Remus takes his hand and for a moment, Sirius assumes he's going to shake it. He doesn't. He brings it up to his face, turning it over so he can sense Sirius's wrist first, before turning it back and placing a gentle kiss on the back of it. Sirius is stunned. He's not sure what to do or how to handle this situation. But it feels nice, and there's just something about Remus's voice that grabs his attention. He can't help but smile. Remus holds his hand for a moment longer before slowly letting go. Sirius withdraws his hand. I hope your stay here is happy, and I'll help where I can, Remus says, though Sirius doesn't understand the words in the slightest. He's unable to resist. He takes a deep breath himself, and is overwhelmed by the most amazing scent ever. It's calming and it makes him want to reach out for the Alpha Prince, but he resists. He hasn't even had a moment to look at the prince and king before the most amazing scent makes him stop in his tracks. He freezes, 
his head turning in search of the scent, and his eyes fall on the prince. He's lost. He's barely aware of even walking over there, taking the seat next to Sirius, and he takes a moment to scent the prince officially, before placing a kiss on his hand. The prince looks confused, as though it's not the custom in their country, but Remus realizes that this is perhaps not the case. He thinks maybe Orion hasn't explained this sort of situation to Sirius, to tell him how to deal with scenting and suitors and he holds back the anger, because Sirius would be relying on these other senses. And due to the amount of people, unknown ones that he can't understand, Sirius may get upset and confused, and Remus has no intention of adding to that. He does, however, glance at his mother. I may not be sending that letter after all, he says. She nods, smiling as she watches. Remus glances back at Sirius, and slowly lets go of his hand. And when Sirius breathes in and smiles as the scent hits him, Remus is sure that he feels this too. The scent of the perfect mate. Soulmates or true mates for those that believe in them. And Remus didn't believe before. Not until now. With fate bringing Sirius this way, only for him to find that this Omega is his mate, fate brought his soulmate to him. Orion looks between the pair, before his gaze moves to hope. In slightly uncertain moon speak, he offers. I believe we can discuss this tonight. I'll discuss further with my son tonight, and we can talk to you about it in the morning. Hope informs him. Orion nods briskly and turns to the food set in front of him, and Hope gives Remus a questioning look. He can only nod his head. He has no doubts now. He puts a hand on his chest, hoping to indicate to his mum what this means. She barely reacts, and Remus knows she's trying to put a front up in front of the king. She silently holds up three fingers and he understands and nods his head. The wedding will be in three days. It's terrifying, but he understands it's the best way to protect Sirius, and that thought alone helps him. He keeps an eye on Sirius, pushing the cutlery closer when Sirius reaches nervously for it. On Sirius's other side, Charles Potter quietly tells Sirius what food is on the plate and where and Remus feels a sense of contentment he hopes he can make Sirius happy here. He wants to talk to Sirius and find out if the other man feels a connection between the pair, but that can wait until tomorrow, when the contract is settled between the two royal families. Hope looks over the contract that has already been written up. She hates that Orion has presumed that this will go through, but the offer is more generous than she's ever imagined. And her son, Remus came to her last night and told her that he's going to marry Sirius at the next full moon. They haven't had a chance to talk, but she saw the look on his face. Her son is captivated, and she's glad. She hoped for this, though would have accepted Ted as a good option. But ever since seeing Sirius for the first time, no, ever since getting the letter from the king saying they were coming to visit, she's felt protective over Sirius. Now she can treat him with kindness and make him feel welcome and loved. Like part of her family. She hoped for a trade route agreement of at the most five years. But this is a lot more than she expected. Ten years and with more goods outlined and at better prices. On top of that, the dowry with Sirius is substantial. It's probably what they currently have in their vault. Maybe more. It's a small fortune. I understand that a lot of changes need to be made to help my son, he says. 
I know you think badly of me, but his life is at risk if he stays at home. If he takes the throne in Black's Landing, his death is assured. I am not a good father, but I do love my son and I don't want him to die. If sending him far away is what it takes, and if an agreement to that scale assures that the kingdom has enough to make sure he wants for nothing, it's gold well spent. I do, however, insist that the wedding happens sooner rather than later. Two days. Hope replies. It's a custom to marry under the full moon and that's the next one. I started proceedings last night after talking to my son and gaining his approval to do so. Perhaps I think a little more kindly, knowing what you are doing to protect your son, and I can assure you that he will be happy here. Cared for. Loved. He'll be taken into a family and he will want for nothing. It's why I chose you. From the reports that came back, you're good people. Your people love you. Orion sighs. This is what my son needs. In ten years, I won't be king and my son will be, and with his brother here, he'll extend that trade agreement without question. He will be the one to miss Sirius, the one who is protective of his brother. But even he can't protect Sirius from the rest of the family. Who would kill him? Hope asks quietly. Should I have more security at the docks in case? Orion shakes his head. First and foremost, probably his mother. He lets out a tired sigh as Hope begins to sign the contract between the kingdoms. My brother, his daughter. My family is large and disability is weakness. They won't allow weakness on the throne. Our views on disability are very different. Hope tells him, pushing the parchment over to him and watching him sign. His own mother feels that way. Well, he'll find a second chance here. I can only hope. Orion tells her. He watches as she signs the second copy, and he reaches for it. What would you do for your son were he in danger? I would stand between him and that danger and offer my life to protect him. She says without having to think about it. Sending him away would not be my first choice. Our views on what is a threat are also very different. Orion points out, a wry smile on his lips. For Sirius, he has no way to defend himself whilst threats from at least three angles come at him. Maybe even more. They don't want him to run our kingdom, so there will be no threat following him here. He's safe in your care. He'll be alive. Hope rolls up her copy of the contract. That concludes business. Unless there's anything else, I should get back to this wedding. I believe my son is interested in speaking with Sirius at your convenience. Orion nods. Where can I find Remus? He'll be waiting in the sitting room if you can bring Sirius to him. Or bring Remus to Sirius. We will be looking for Sirius to have his own guard, his own translator and tutor, and anyone else that can assist. We'll find a way to help him learn the layout of this castle easily. But I have to start planning on how to do all of this. She pauses. Sirius's next heat. Orion frowns. I believe he had one not long before we left. He says after a long moment. Though I'm unsure. We'll make arrangements. Hope insists. I just wanted to know whether there was a chance of it hitting on the wedding day. The scent of a compatible alpha could trigger it. Orion says, frowning because this discussion is clearly uncomfortable for him. Perhaps the meeting with your son in a moment will remain short, and we shall eat separately to him to ease the risk of this. Also, it would be best that I bring Sirius to your son, perhaps in the gardens where the air would help dilute the scents. I agree. I'll inform Remus to meet you just outside of the main garden doors. I have our kingdom's traditional wedding outfit. Orion adds. We'll have a moonstone cloak made to wear with the wedding clothes you've provided. Hope tells him. Tradition is he wears a symbol of the moon for the wedding.
Orion agrees and leaves to get his son, and Hope heads out to find Remus. You meet in the garden, she tells him. The wedding will be on the next full moon. I'll have a matching set of cloaks made. Though traditionally, Sirius would be the one to pick the color and you the material, I'm going to reverse that for the circumstances and offer Sirius the chance to pick something that feels comfortable. Remus nods. Where in the gardens? Close to the main doors so Sirius doesn't have to travel far. The outdoors is just to help with the sense. We don't want the unexpected heat to start before the wedding. We need to do this now. Understood. He stands and heads to the garden. I'll translate. We should keep this brief for obvious reasons. The king says as they take a seat on the bench facing Remus. Remus chose it carefully. The wind will blow Sirius's scent towards him, so Sirius won't catch his. Remus leans a little closer and takes Sirius's hand in his own. Sirius, he murmurs, and Sirius's head turns in his direction. He's stunned once more at the sheer beauty of this man, before he mentally shakes himself. I know this wedding is happening so fast, and it may come as a shock or surprise to you that there's little time. I'm sure your father can inform you of our customs, but I wanted to ask you something. Are you happy with this? Is this what you want? I assure you that I'll do everything in my power to make you happy, to make sure you want for nothing. But do you want to marry me? Orion stares at him for a moment before turning to his son. I have offered this kingdom your hand as part of an agreement. Prince Remus has kindly agreed to marry you. He's here to tell you that he's accepted, and I am sure you are very pleased. Of course you are pleased. He is watching you. Orion glances back to Remus, and Remus notices the hint of a smile on Sirius's lips at this. He's comforted. He wants this, but he wants to check with Sirius. I promise we'll do everything to make this feel like your home. Remus continues. Comfortable, all the meals you enjoy. I like being around you and want you to know that I want this too. I feel, I feel privileged that I get to spend my life with you. I may not be what you expect, I'm afraid. There are scars that. He trails off. I just want, just a yes to tell me you want this. Orion glances back at his son again. He ensures your safety and happiness. This will go ahead regardless of your feelings, Sirius. It would make it easier if you were to say yes to him. The translation is, yes. Sirius nods slightly. Yes, he says softly. Yes. The second time is more certain. Remus smiles and brings the hand to his lips, overjoyed. He places a kiss to the back of Sirius's hand again, watching a smile play on his lips. I must attend to things before the wedding. The next time I see you, it'll be the full moon and we'll be, we'll be married. Oh, and you'll need to choose the cloak material, but that will be later, and my mum can provide more information. He's aware he's babbling now, but he's so happy, excited. Orion smiles slightly. He must attend to the wedding. It will be in two days. Cloaks will be brought to you to choose the material later today. Sirius holds his emotions in until he's in his room, and that's when he allows the utter panic to flow out of him in waves. He grips the silk sheets in his hands, hating the feel of the material between his fingers, but feeling the need for something familiar. The silk is a reminder of home, and he clings to it, the touch oddly soothing. The touch so familiar. His father has planned this, it's why he brought Sirius along. To marry him off. 
Sirius will never see his brother again. His father has already mentioned the robes he's brought for Sirius to wear. Sirius's personal belongings. But he puts on a front, and he smiles when the materials are brought to him, and he feels measurements being taken. He stays calm. He manages to somehow eat, but he breaks down again, when alone in his room that evening. He's terrified. The air is chilly and Remus is glad for the cloaks. Sirius is stunning wearing the one that's been made for him. The cloaks are made to be stitched together as a blanket for their shared bed. Though Remus has insisted that they have joined rooms for now, with a door between the rooms until they're ready for this marriage to take that turn. He doesn't have expectations. He's happy to wait until Sirius is ready. Orion moves Sirius until the Omega is standing facing him. He moves to stand as part of the circle around them as the moon priest starts to speak. They stand in the light of the full moon, in a spot in the kingdom where that light always appears to be much brighter than anywhere else. That spot is in the middle of the town square, where they hold every celebration and festival. Ceremonies happen in that glow because it's believed to bring luck. It's believed to be magic. The ground is a large mosaic to indicate the blessed circle. Remus is lucky because Sirius is marrying him. He reaches and takes Sirius's hands in his own. The first circle is small. The close families of the pair. Orion stands for Sirius, Hope, the Potters and Remus's remaining grandparents stand there, each of them holding a silver candle to match the silver of the cloaks. Silver for soulmates, in their custom. A short distance away, there is another, larger circle of townsfolk that have come to watch the ceremony. They stand just outside of where the moonlight seems to hit. Their candles vary in color, all lights in the darkness. They murmur about the silver, their voices excited, but as the candles are raised by Hope and the other family members, the people all fall quiet. Remus reaches a hand up slowly, placing it on the side of Sirius's face, and Sirius leans into the touch almost desperately, and this hurts Remus. Because Sirius seems to crave any sort of touch, and perhaps he's not used to any of this. I'll do everything to make you happy, Remus murmurs softly. Though Sirius doesn't understand, Sirius's head turns and his lips brush Remus's hand as a gentle kiss. Remus is pretty sure he's in love with Sirius already. More than pretty sure. He's certain that's how he feels. The light seems to grow brighter around them and the moon priest's words make way for a soft chant that sounds like a hum. Sirius looks confused but Remus's fingers gently stroke against his skin. Sirius's free hand slowly reaches out, finding Remus's face and running down his cheek. He pauses at the scars briefly, and Remus is scared that Sirius will change his mind, but there's another kiss to his hand and Sirius steps forward, closing the distance between them. He leans his head forward, his forehead resting against Remus's, just breathing in Remus's scent. Yes. Sirius whispers with so much certainty. Remus, yes. It's a start. Yes, Remus answers. Sirius's hand remains on his face, and he's sure he feels the warmth from this spot. No wonder people do this here. He understands now. Sirius's body shifts closer still, and the chanting stops, and the ceremony carries on. If we kiss in the warmth of the moon, it's a blessing to our marriage, Remus murmurs softly. James is closest. He steps from the circle and translates the words. 
Everyone surrounds us with candles. Your father, my family, the people from the kingdom. Remus adds, with James translating. When we kiss, this marriage is final. Sirius nods as James translates. He leans in closer to Remus, looking nervous. He moves his head again, as though he's not certain on what he's doing, and Remus tilts his own head, closing the distance. Remus has never kissed anyone before, and he's not disappointed. Sirius's hand slides to Remus's neck and Remus buries his hand into the loose curls hanging around Sirius's shoulders. The kiss only lasts a moment, but Remus isn't going to forget the feel of Sirius's lips on his own. That soft touch was the most amazing moment of his life, and he hopes that he can feel that again and again from now until they're two very old people, like the elderly he sees around town, walking hand in hand. He wants that. He wants a lifetime with Sirius. The union is announced in words either of them know. Part of the language that had been lost many years ago, but still important to the ceremony. The kingdom put out their own candles, and our smaller circle of family members offer one to us to sit in our rooms. Remus explains, with James echoing the words in Starish. Hope steps forward decidedly, and Remus raises his eyebrows for a moment, but understands. In a wedding between an Omega and Alpha, it would be the mother of the Omega that offers a candle. Failing that, the father or another close family member. By Hope stepping forward, she's showing her kingdom what Sirius means to her already. That she's accepting the role as his mother. She places the lit candle carefully into their joined hands and steps back. Blow the candle out together, James murmurs before translating. He starts counting to Sirius whilst holding up fingers to Remus to indicate what number he's on. Remus watches his fingers. Three. Two. One. He blows, as does Sirius. As the flame goes out, all the others flicker and do the same, and the light of the moon seems to intensify for just a moment, before returning to normal. But Remus is sure he feels something tying him and Sirius together. Hope comes back to take the candle handling it as though it's the most precious item in existence, and Remus takes Sirius's hand. Rings, James murmurs in each language. Remus reaches to the small table that the moon priest has been resting his book on. He reaches for the rings that have now been blessed by the moonlight, and he places one in Sirius's palm, before sliding one onto Sirius's finger. Sirius follows suit, and though Remus is eager to explain that part of the ceremony, he doesn't want to do too much talking. They have their whole life to talk about the customs and their wedding. Sirius finds a ring pressed into his hand, and one slipped on his finger. He does the same. He's not scared anymore. Standing hand in hand with Remus, he felt safe. This time he said yes because he chose to of his own accord. He could feel the moon on his skin. He could almost see the light it offered. Every touch of Remus seemed intensified and he feels something as the bond overcomes them. There is real magic in the air and he loves this. This beautiful, strange, amazing ceremony as opposed to the ones back home. I am glad that it's you, he says and James translates, causing Remus to smile widely. And I have no words to tell you how happy I am in this moment, Remus says. James glances at Sirius and translates. Sirius's smile is so wide, it rivals that of Remus's. Okay. 
so there's attraction. Maybe he's been chosen by Remus to have children with him, because he's not sure what else he has to offer. Attraction is, well, he's never thought about whether someone would be attracted to him. He's never had to think about that, but the thought that Remus would look at him and feel anything is, it's something. And the thought of having his own family, one that actually cares for him, loves him, is something that once seemed a dream. He can do this. Maybe even develop a friendship with Remus, even though these feelings have come about so quickly and intensely, and he craves so much more with this amazing alpha. But a friend, he'd love to have a friend. But he doesn't have much time to ponder this, because on the journey back to the castle, traditionally a walk, but Remus helps him up into a small, open-top carriage that is pulled by a single horse. Sirius's skin starts to burn. Remus's arm is around him, holding him close, and Sirius twists in his arms, trying to seek more of the scent. Remus pulls him closer. We'll be back at the castle soon, he murmurs, taking in the change of scent. Sirius doesn't understand, but the sound is comforting as he buries his nose into Remus's neck. Remus presses a kiss against his cheek and sighs softly. It sounds happy to Sirius, and he can't help but feel that happiness himself. He's completely terrified, but maybe, maybe this will be happy. Maybe he won't be so lonely. He's nervous to spend his heat with Remus, but also filled with anticipation. His husband. As the heat hits, and over the next few days, he asks for Remus, but Remus doesn't come. Sirius is completely confused. He can't understand why Remus doesn't join him. Why is he even there? Nothing makes sense. Remus doesn't get to see much of his husband over the first week of the marriage. The ceremony was taxing in itself, having brought on Sirius's heat, meaning Remus had to stay away from the room. He reminds himself that he'll have time in the future to be with Sirius during the heat and not to try and rush things right now. So he throws himself into his duties. He starts interviewing translators and tutors for Sirius. He speaks to Charles about a private guard. He looks for someone to teach him Sirius's language so they can communicate. He tries to get a feel of what to do around the castle. On top of all that, he has his normal duties to attend to. He's called to deal with duties in the day following the heat and the day after that, though he insists he needs time with Sirius. He tells everyone he needs a few days to devote to his new partner. But urgent things happen, things need to be reviewed and signed, and Remus feels frustrated, trying to rush so he can be with Sirius. On the last day of work, however, he's overseeing something in the garden and having a discussion with the gardener about rearranging the benches, when Charles comes striding out. Sirius has disappeared, he says, looking worried. Your mother went to find him for dinner, and he's not in the sitting room, he's not in his own room either. Remus excuses himself from the gardener. How long ago? Twenty minutes. We've taken a quick look around. His guard. The guard wasn't in the sitting room when we went in. Perhaps he needed something and the guard is helping. Remus guesses, though he's still worried. They approach the sitting room, in hopes that Sirius has returned, but the guard walks in a moment later, looking between them before a guilty expression crosses his face. Where have you been? Remus asks. Ah, the toilet, the guard says. The prince is missing, Charles replies, eyes narrowed and arms crossing in front of him.
I don't believe that. Again, where were you all of this time? The guard lets out a breath. I was in the kitchens visiting one of the girls. He admits. She has a break around this time and... The prince was resting, his eyes were closed. I thought he'd still be here. I imagine you need more training on how to guard someone. He snaps. Go round the castle and find whichever staff are here and inform them that we're looking for Sirius. Tell them to check the kitchens, all of the back of the castle and the top floor. Report immediately back to me. I'll be searching the front courtyard. Understood? Yes, Captain. The man says. And tomorrow you will find yourself back in basic training or find yourself a new job. Now leave. Charles tells him. The guard gets out of there fast and Charles turns to Remus. Sirius can't be far. The gates will all be closed, so he's either in the castle or the grounds. You check the first floor, in case he's still up there. I'll send James to help. Me, your mother and Doria can start downstairs and outside of the castle. The staff can do the rest. Remus nods his head. He rushes into the hallway and towards the staircase. As he runs up, he hears James calling his name. Remus, what's the hurry? Sirius's guard left his post. Now we can't find Sirius. Remus says. It's my fault. I kept getting distracted by duties. I should have been with Sirius today. His father should have stuck around to help him adjust. James replies. You've been trying to get everything organized for Sirius. No, I should have been there. Remus insists. We're to check the first floor. James rushes up, and he follows the handrail around the upstairs, towards the far door. Remus moves to where the bedrooms are and opens Sirius's door to look inside properly in case he was missed the first time, or in case he's returned since it was last checked. The window is wide open, with the heat sense still slightly lingering. Still, he glances around, but Sirius is not in there. He walks towards the bathroom and glances in, but that too is empty. He checks his mum's room too, before moving on to his own bedroom. That's empty too, though he does notice some books on the floor. He leaves them for now, closing the door and turning back. He goes back to the stairs and down the hall, the other way from James and he begins to open doors one by one. It's two doors from the top of the stairs that he finds his husband. The man is clutching the cloaks, fast asleep on a chair in the corner. Remus looks out of the room and waits until James looks his way, before gesturing. James gives a nod and starts to go downstairs to alert everyone that Sirius has been found, and Remus turns back to the room. He walks over and removes the cloaks from their wedding and carefully takes Sirius's hands in his own. Sirius. Sirius jumps, pulling his hands away, but Remus takes them again, calling Sirius's name. It takes Sirius a moment, but he pauses, relaxing. Remus. He sighs. Remus tugs and Sirius stands and allows himself to be led out of the room. James is on his way back up the stairs now. Need help. Ask him what happened. James turns to Sirius. We have been looking for you. What happened? Sirius's shoulders slump. I was searching for Remus. I asked the guard earlier, but he didn't understand. When I asked again, I found I was alone. I thought he was getting Remus for me, so I waited. But when no one came for the longest time, I went to find him myself. I am unsure where I am. I just decided to wait in this chair because this room smells like him and perhaps he would return. I checked his room first, before getting myself a little lost. James translates the words back before replying. 
Remus is here now. Would you like to have dinner with him and spend the rest of the evening with him? I am free to translate for you both for a few hours. Sirius sighs and shakes his head, looking so unhappy that Remus has to move forward and wrap his husband in his arms. How do I fix this? Remus asks. There's more wrong here, James says. He glances towards Sirius again, whose fingers are clenched in the material of Remus's shirt. Please, come have dinner and then whatever is the matter, we'll fix this. Okay, we're here for you. I'm your friend, or I hope to be if you want, James requests. Sirius gives a slight nod and sighs once more. There's a handrail in front of you that follows around to the stairs. We're going left, the stairs will be on the right. They go downstairs for dinner, and Sirius barely eats. James shakes his head when the others murmur about asking. But when they're satisfied that Sirius has had something to eat, they excuse themselves and the three retire for the evening upstairs, because there's so much to discuss. I think perhaps I should go home. I do not understand this place. I do not know where I should be and have not been told what rooms I can and cannot go to. James has agreed to translate all messages back and forth, and Remus paces as he considers the life Sirius left. It sounds so controlling. In the silence after his words, Sirius continues to explain further. Father told me I must be married, without choice. But then I realized as I arrived at the wedding, that I would like to be here, married, with Remus. It became my own choice. But Remus isn't around much and I do not want to burden him. I assumed that there was an attraction, that perhaps I'm here to start a family with him, and... And my heat hit and he didn't come when I called for him. I am so confused. I feel really alone here. Can I just please go home? The words hurt. Before the wedding, the day in the garden, I asked your father to tell you things. That I want this marriage, that I want to make you happy. But I asked him to ask you if you wanted this too. I don't think he translated what we wanted to communicate. Remus begins. He pauses as James translates. This is my own fault. I put a lot of faith in Orion and in the assumption that you felt the same thing I did. When I first came across your scent, I was captivated, before even seeing you. Of course I'm attracted to you, Sirius. You're very handsome, but there's so much more to you than your looks. I want to know everything about you, I want to sit with you for hours just getting to know you. Of course I want, a family, to share your heat. I do want those, one day. But that comes with time. Our wedding had to be under the full moon to be blessed properly, and that only left us a few days. He pauses once more as James relays the message. I want to build a proper relationship with you, and joining you for your heat wouldn't have been respectful. He adds. If you really want to leave, I won't stop you. But if you think you can be happy here with me, if you're willing to give me a chance. Remus stops pacing and moves to Sirius as James translates the words. Sirius, I'm falling in love with you. He murmurs. I'll fix this. He leans in slowly, his lips brushing Sirius's jaw. Sirius's head turns, his face burying in Remus's neck. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave Remus. Sirius says. He doesn't want to leave. James tells Remus. He doesn't want to leave you. The next morning, Remus gets out of bed early. James has already rearranged both of their schedules, because this marriage is the most important thing. 
A conversation between the pair after Sirius fell asleep had them both agreeing that Sirius needs someone who can communicate with him. So James decides to step down from being Remus's advisor for the time being, and Charles and Dory agree to take over his duties, and Hope will take over Remus's, well, as much as they all can, whilst James and Remus take on the task of convincing Sirius to stay, of making the castle feel like a home to him of making him feel a part of the family, loved, cared for, important. We have the entire dowry, Remus says. We need to make it so Sirius can find his way around the castle properly. So he can find his way if he makes a wrong turn. He needs to feel safe. I know we'll barely dent the money, but it's good to know that cost is not a concern. Everything we can do to help, we do it. Directions he can feel rather than need visual on. James muses. Braille, Remus suggests. We could have the room names on each door handle. So Sirius will be able to know a room before going inside of it. Yes, that would work, James tells him. We need to take time each day to show him around the castle and get him used to the layout too. It'll be easier once we have the names on the doors. Thicker carpets running through the hallways. He'll know if there's a way to walk if there's a path. Sense. Your mum likes her flowers and scents. Perhaps we allocate certain scents to certain parts of the castle. It'll help Sirius realize if he's going in the wrong direction. Okay, these are a start. Remus agrees. Adjusting to where everything is will take a while. Communication is next. You should start lessons to learn Sirius's language too. Show him that he's important enough to you for you to take the time to learn it. That way, you can communicate a little with him, as well as Sirius trying to learn for you. I can teach you as well as teaching Sirius, James suggests. Remus nods. He needs a new guard. I don't think it'd help having someone follow him around all day, James points out. Maybe guards can just patrol, but doing extra shifts for a while until Sirius knows the layout. He really only needs his own guard when you go to town. I know a guy, Peter. He's friendly and he has a grandmother from Black's Landing and she speaks a bit of Starish, so he knows a bit himself. Not much, but enough to understand and communicate the basics. I can work on the language with him too. I was talking to the gardener yesterday. I wanted a private garden set up for Sirius. As you come out of the gardens, I wanted a nice spot for Sirius to be able to sit. There are railings on the left that Sirius can follow to the area and he'll be able to make his own way back inside. I don't want Sirius to have to ask to be able to do things like go for a walk. Maybe extend that. Change the path that runs through the garden to something that you'd feel underfoot. Something for Sirius to follow. Maybe something to indicate that there are benches nearby. James suggests. If we do a symmetrical pattern, each path eventually leads to somewhere to sit down. Maybe some wind chimes towards the castle that'll help him know which way is back to the doors. I think the set of rooms we have isn't suitable, he finally adds. Though there aren't many rooms that are joined together like ours. Should we remodel one of the rooms to suit? I think the room is fine. Sirius can manage stairs, and will feel more comfortable when he knows where he is, James says. Better go up and check on him now. Breakfast will be ready soon. I think we need to discuss things for Sirius to do so he's not sitting around waiting for one of us to be free to spend time with him. Good idea. Good, good morning, 
Sirius's eyes opened properly at the sound of Remus's voice. Remus. He feels a weight on the side of the bed, near his legs. Sirius, Remus murmurs. Sirius feels around the bed, trying to work out how close he is to the edge, before shifting over. He pats the bed next to him hopefully. After his admittance yesterday, he could hear how upset, how hurt Remus was that Sirius wanted to leave. He sounded devastated, and maybe that's helped things, because Sirius feels like he matters, even a little bit. But he matters. Remus truly wants him there. Last night, when Remus excused himself to get them some drinks, James took the opportunity to express some things that Sirius now knows Remus is too shy to express for himself. He told Sirius that he's there because Remus believes them to be soulmates. That Remus was going to refuse the marriage contract until meeting Sirius and falling for him pretty much straight away. James asked Sirius to trust Remus, so Sirius will do just that, because he likes the idea of having a soulmate, and he's pretty sure he started falling for Remus too. James also taught Sirius the moon speak for soulmate. Sirius has whispered it so many times to himself since learning, loving the way that word feels on his lips. Remus sits on the bed next to him and Sirius shifts, so he's sitting up next to Remus. Remus. Soulmates. He rests his hand on Remus's chest, before touching his own. He hopes the word is right. In between falling asleep and waking up, perhaps he's mixed it up. As the pause after his word seems to stretch, he becomes more and more uncertain. Finally, Remus's hand comes to cup his cheek and the weight on the bed shifts, and Remus's lips are inches from his. Yes, soulmates, Remus replies. Sirius smiles. James explained how shy Remus is, and Sirius takes the initiative to close the distance between their lips. They finally make it down to breakfast. Every time Remus tried to get up, Sirius would pull him back into a kiss and Remus was powerless to resist. He didn't even try, just allowed Sirius to kiss him over and over. They finally parted when James knocked on the door for the fourth time, grumbling impatiently about food. Me and James were brainstorming this morning, Remus says, as the plate's empty. Ways to make the castle more accessible. James, on the other side of Sirius, murmurs the translations to him as Remus speaks. We're going to install thick carpets to all of the hallways. Something more noticeable underfoot, focusing on the rooms Sirius uses the most. That can be arranged. Doria agrees. Door handles. We'd like to try and put the name of the room on each handle. If that doesn't work, a small plaque on each door. That way Sirius will always know which room is which. The same with the handrails by the stairs. His mother nods for him to continue. Different paths and some wind chimes for the garden. Some of the benches to be moved. Sirius won't have to rely on having people bring him for walks. Remus insists. And maybe, rather than spreading the different flowers everywhere in the castle, we could focus the scent somehow. Like all the upstairs sleeping quarters could have one prevalent scent. Another area, another scent. Maybe an easier path into the orchard too. These are fine ideas. Hope agrees. Charles was considering some fighting practice for Sirius. Remus looks towards Sirius as James translates the words. Sirius nods eagerly. Perhaps we can go into town today and start looking for someone to help us. 
Remus suggests. The market is today. I think Sirius has spent a lot of his life cooped up in a castle, and how does he feel about going into town together? Sirius beams in his direction at the suggestion, reaching his hand out, and Remus takes it. He leans in, placing his lips on Sirius's cheek. I love you, he whispers. It's the thunder that does it. Sirius stumbles across the room, losing all grip on how many steps he should take, or where anything is. He trips, he bumps his elbow, and he takes a moment to find the door. He finds himself in the hall and curses to himself that he didn't go through the door that separated the two bedrooms. The thunder crashes again and Sirius keeps a hand on the wall as he moves towards Remus's room. He curses as he tries the door, only to find it locked. He knocks. Remus. He hears a creak from inside the room. Another crash of thunder. He's scared. He can't breathe. The door clicks open and suddenly he's being pulled into Remus's arms. Bed. Sirius whispers, trying out one of the words he's learned recently. We will share. His voice is shaking and he clings to Remus as the next roll of thunder booms. He's quickly led over to the bed, and he settles down, cuddling up against Remus as fingers run through his hair. The arms tighten as the thunder bangs, and Sirius jumps each time, but having Remus there helps. They don't move until the thunder stops. Thank you, Sirius murmurs. He tilts his chin up, hoping Remus realizes he's asking for a kiss. His husband doesn't disappoint, as lips eagerly find his. It's been three months, and Sirius is happy. He's still finding his way around the castle, though he's gaining confidence every day that passes. He's able to move around by himself, and is seldom bored. He practices fighting with James, and James is his tutor, teaching him to speak moon-speak. He listens in as Remus tries to learn Starish, though his Mooney is adorable as he attempts to wrap his lips around the words, pronouncing them wrong so many times before he gets it right. They also go to the market in town on a weekly basis, and he's excited about the upcoming Moonlight Festival in a few days that Remus has promised to bring him to. He's looking forward to apple picking and picnics in the orchard when the weather gets warmer. Remus has helped him send a letter to Regulus. That'll go with the new trade route that has started. But there's been one barrier left. Neither of them know how to move forward in the relationship, but Sirius is in Remus's bed and he feels brave. He's learned the moon speak to tell Remus one thing he's wanted to say for months. His fingers find the hem of Remus's pajama top and Sirius's hand starts to push it slowly up, his heart pounding. Sirius, Remus whispers against his lips. Sirius grins. Husband, he whispers back. The top is removed and his fingers touch at the waistband of Remus's bottoms. Mooney, he hears a sharp intake of breath. Can, can I, Remus asks. He touches the bottom of Sirius's top and Sirius nods eagerly. Yes. Sirius has no idea where his clothes are and doesn't really care. He's exhausted, and he can feel Remus's bare form pressed against him as Remus softly plants kisses across his shoulders. I love you, Remus whispers. Sirius smiles. Remus said the same thing Sirius has wanted to say since his wedding. And I love you too. As they settle down to sleep, Remus can see the candle by the window, shining in the moonlight. This marriage is so completely blessed.
Regulus tries not to look impatient as he gets out of the carriage and walks towards the castle. It's been five years. He's supposed to wait ten, but he's not waiting any longer to see his brother. He's king now and no one can force him to stay. At his side is Andromeda, his advisor. The person just as desperate to see Sirius as he is. The doors open and a handsome, scarred man steps out at the side of his brother, and Regulus can't help but smile. Sirius. There's a long pause as Sirius frowns. He turns his head towards his husband. A surprise visit to ensure that the trade routes are working well, Remus explains. Perhaps to discuss in person more things that Black's Landing can trade. He's approaching the stairs. Sirius turns back in time for arms to be thrown around him. He holds his brother tightly. Welcome, Regulus, he says. You finally get to meet my family. We'll discuss the trade route tomorrow. You, Regulus finds himself asking. A smile stretches across his face. I knew father was letting you go to waste if you're organizing trade now. Sirius nods, grinning his way. I'm not just a pretty face, he tells his brother. I'm one of the kings here. I have duties, the same as everyone else. He reaches for Remus's hand and Remus quickly takes it, smiling at Sirius. You have another visitor, Remus adds, noticing Andromeda still standing by the carriage, shock on her face. Sirius turns back towards the carriage, but rain drops down on his skin. He laughs as the drops speed up, running down his face. Inside, he calls. Visit with me inside. Only you could find Rain hilarious. Andromeda scolds happily as she walks over. She throws her arms around her cousin. And here I thought I'd have to make plans for you to run away from a horrible marriage. I've been assuming the worst, all these years. Only to find you completely in love. I would say that's not fair, but no one deserves love as much as you. I'm happy. They glance towards the gates as they open again though Sirius's gaze is turned towards the noise instinctively. More visitors? She asks. Sirius nods. We assumed your carriage was the one we're waiting on today. He admits. A friend, Ted. He'll be here for dinner, but heading home afterwards. You don't mind having more company, I know you've just arrived. Not at all. Andromeda says in perfect moon speak. She's spent five years learning the language. She turns back as the carriage door opens. Sirius, oh, mere lady, you're getting soaked. An umbrella is quickly held over her head. Allow me. She turns to thank the stranger, but as her eyes meet his, she can't find the words to speak. Your family of Siriuses, Ted says. He reaches for her hand. I'm Lord Tonks. Ted, it's the biggest pleasure of my life, meeting your acquaintance. He brings her hand up to his lips. The corner of her lips turn up. It is certainly a pleasure. I hope to see more of you this trip, as I think I might be staying for a while. Sirius grins. Remus, where are you? Right here. Remus steps out from the doorway. What do you need? You as always, my love. But also... He nods in the general direction of Andromeda and Ted. How long until the next full moon? Finite. Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.